Hello, St Andrews. Let me begin uh, with these words from a famous Australian songwriter. See if you can guess who it is. On a crowded beach in a distant time, at the height of summer, see a boy of five at the water's edge, so nimble and free, jumping over the ripples, looking way out to sea. Now a man comes from amongst the throng, takes the young boy's hand and his hand is strong and the child feels safe, the child feels brave as he's carried in those arms up and over the waves, deeper water calling him on. Ephesians 6 is about deep water discipleship for both parents and children. I want to encourage us as a church family as we look at Ephesians 6, 1 to 4 together now to listen carefully. If you are a parent, or a grandparent or even a great-grandparent, if you are a, 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 a godparent or an uncle or an auntie or perhaps a key support person for a family, or even if you just long to see this church family and the parents and the children of this church family too, well, in the words of Ephesians 4 verse 13, to be those who by faith and knowledge in the Son of God grow up to maturity, to be those who attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If that is your prayer for the parents and the families within our church family, then please listen to this passage. Ephesians 6 is a word about children and a word about parents from God the Father. But before we hear that word about parents and children, it is worth hearing the word that God speaks that we may know him as God the Father. And here's why. We cannot actually understand the purpose that God has given families and the purpose he has given parents and children without knowing that God himself is our first and our perfect and our forever father. In fact, the Bible tells us in John 17 verse 3 that knowing God and knowing him as father is the very purpose of life. Uh, John 17, as Jesus prays to his Father in heaven, he, he prays that we might know him as uh, he knows his father. Uh, John 17, 3, he says, this is life. This is eternal life that they may know you, father. I want to say if you've had a brilliant human father, you'll have some sense of uh, that knowing and being known in life is the very heart of life. And that sense is not a mistake. God has wired us up to feel that. Uh, let me say as well, though, if you have not had a good experience with your own father and perhaps you have some sense of what you had hoped that relationship would have been like, if that's you, you do need to know that God is your father and he is a very good father. Now, whatever our experience, the Bible's profound testimony to us is this. Life, human life, is about knowing God as father. And it is about knowing that with him, there is a place for us. That's the Bible's testimony. That's the story it tells us, the true story it tells us. But it also tells us this. It tells us that it's not always been that way. It was, of course, in the beginning. You read the opening chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, and we're told there that's God's purpose for humanity, to be at home with him under his good rule in his place. Uh, Ephesians 3, our letter that we're working through as a church family. Uh, in chapter 3, as Paul bows the knee to pray to the Heavenly Father, he says this. He, he says, he is the father from whom every family on earth derives its name. Our story begins with him. I wonder if you know that uh, brilliant documentary series, uh, Who Do You Think You Are? As they trace the lives of 
famous people back through the generations and they discover all sorts of things in their story. Well, that's where your story starts. You were made to be at home with God in his place under his rule. Uh, but this is also part of our story. As that story unfolds in Genesis, Genesis 3, we, we read of the fall, the, the leaving of Eden of the man and the woman. That's part of our story too. Uh, each one of us rejecting God's good rule, each one of us choosing self-rule. That's in our human DNA and we pass it on down the generations as we pass on all sorts of traits, don't we? You know, I discovered uh, uh, a few years ago that um, when I concentrate, uh, especially when I'm playing sport or something like that, my, my tongue automatically sticks out. I don't know I'm doing it, but Liz likes to tell me regularly that that's what happens. And now we've discovered that one of our children does the exact same thing. We, we pass on characteristics, don't we? Well, it's true also of our desire to rebel against God and to self-rule our own lives. Uh, that's something we pass on down the generations. Our children have our DNA, this rebellious heart that wants to rule ourselves rather than be under God's rule. Uh, you know, one of our children, uh, the very first word they spoke was the word no. <laughs> That's quite a handy word if you want to be a self-ruling creature, isn't it? And that's what we say to God. We say no to his rule. It has been our story since that very first family in the Garden of Eden. And if you read Genesis 3, the great curse that Adam and Eve, and Eve experienced was to be made homeless, uh, to have to leave their father's house, to instead come under his judgment and face death. Uh, which is why, for Christians, the news of Jesus Christ is so precious to us. Why it is such good news? Because it's actually news of a way back home. Uh, John 14 verse 2 uh, has some of the most famous words in all of Scripture. Jesus says there this, he says, In my Father's house there are many rooms, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. That's his promise. And as he says it, his going to prepare a place refers to the, the chain of events at the very heart of the Christian faith. It refers to his death and resurrection. Uh, it refers to the fact that Jesus chose to walk the path that was set out for us because he knew the only path between us and being back home with God was actually a path marked by our own death and judgment. <laughs> and so the gospel is this, he goes for us. That's the good news of the gospel. He walks the path instead of us. The death and judgment that was due to us, it falls on him on the cross. And his going is good news, not just because of that. It's good news because of the welcome he received from his father as he walked that path. As God the Father raised his son from death, he was declaring to the world, yes, I accept my son's life for yours because his sacrifice for you is perfect. Uh, Romans 4.25 puts it best when it says this, speaking of Jesus, it said he was delivered over to death for our sins and he was raised for our justification. His going is good news because here's what it means now. Now with God the Father, there is a place for you just as Jesus promised. And listen to these words again from John 14 verse 2. My father's house has many rooms if it weren't so, I would have told you, but I'm going there now to prepare a place for you. And I go to prepare a place for you so that when I come back, I can take you to be with me where I am. That's his promise to us. There is a place for you. Jesus says, because I went to the cross in my, my father's house, which, which has many rooms, there's a place for you there. And, and do you know why? 
because it's your home now. You don't come as a visitor or an imposter. Uh, it's your family home because his father is now our father. And no matter how great or even how terrible our homes or even our fathers have been, this is the one you were made for. There is a place for you, says God the Father. The Bible says that uh, God gives us his spirit to dwell in our hearts so that we can know that the Father loves us, so that we can know that he is our Father and that we have a place with him. And I want to say as we look at Ephesians 6 now, whenever we want to think about what it means to be a parent or what it means to be a child, here is actually where we need to start. God is our first and our perfect and our forever father which I think has three big implications for any family listening. Firstly, it means God the Father is in charge of your family. You live in his house. Secondly, uh, because he is in charge and because he is our God, we worship him, not ourselves. We worship him, not our children. Uh, he is at the centre of our family life. And here's the third implication, and this is what we see in Ephesians 6, 1-4. It means that in our house, God calls the tune. His purpose sets the agenda for our homes. His purpose tells us what the point of our family's life is. It is to live with God under his good rule as father. Our purpose is to live that way and to set our lives on the course where we will live with him in his place forever. That's where we're heading. We're walking home to that destination. Here is what your family is all about. It is about you and your children knowing that you have a place with your heavenly father. And it's about walking home to that place with him. That's the point of your family. And what I want to do now uh, for a few minutes is to outline what it looks like for children and for parents, as we see here in Ephesians 6. And in case I get things muddled and there's a chance of that, uh, here's a summary. Uh, here's essentially what we're going to see. Parents, your job is this. Live in a way that shows your children what God is like and tell your children what God has done for us. That's your job, parents. Children, your job. Follow the life you see in your parents and listen to the word that they tell you about your God. Children, that's your job. Let's look at each of those in turn. Firstly, verses one to three, we have a word to children from God the Father. And it's a word that can be summed up in four words that we see in verse one. Children, obey your parents. And the Apostle Paul, who writes this letter, gives three reasons. Here's the first of them. It's in verse one. It's because it's right. It makes sense, says God. Obedience of children to their parents makes sense. It's the nature that God has given children. Virtually every culture throughout time has acknowledged and operated under this assumption that that makes sense, that it's right for children to obey their parents. In fact, ironically, it's only in recent years that our culture has decided to question that and at times invert it. The Bible says for a child to disobey their parents is a direct rejection of the nature that God has given and bestowed on children. Here's the second uh, reason we're given here in this passage for why children should obey parents. And here, here's the reason. It's because God commands them to do it. 
God speaking to children says, obey your parents. Uh, Paul here refers to the fifth of ten, the Ten Commandments uh, in verse 2. And that brings us to the third reason to obey parents. And that is because we're told here in verses 2 and 3, that this command to obey your parents comes with a promise. And what I love about that is it shows us that when God gives us commands, when he calls us to do things and obey him, they're not arbitrary. They have a point and a purpose behind them. Uh, and in this case, this command has a promise attached to it. Now, to understand that, we have to see the background of the command. Uh, if you've got your Bible there, come with me back to Deuteronomy. Uh, our second reading was Deuteronomy 6, but jump back another chapter, Deuteronomy 5 and verse 16. And we have the command there. 5 verse 16, Honour your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long, and it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now here's the context. God's people here, as this command is given to them, are on the edge of the promised land, on the edge of being at home with God in the place that he has prepared for them. Uh, they've been rescued uh, from slavery in Egypt by the mighty hand of God, by the shedding of the lamb's blood at the Passover and by God leading them through the watery grave of the Red Sea to, to life safe on the other side as they now head home to the promised land. And what the Apostle Paul is doing here in Ephesians 6 is he's drawing a parallel between that experience and our experience as the church. We are those who have been rescued from the slavery to sin, our slavery even to death, by the mighty redemption of Jesus crucified and raised from the dead. And yet we, like them, are not yet home, not yet home to the place that God has prepared for us, the promised new creation. Uh, what Jesus spoke of in John 14 when he says, when I come back, I'll take you to be with me where I am. We're, we're not there yet. We are at the stage where we are waiting and walking home, home to our heavenly father, home to the place where we will be forever under his good rule in his good place. And God's command to children who, like their parents, are not yet home, uh, is to obey their parents, to follow them as they walk home. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, which was our other reading, uh, pictures uh, parents and children on a journey together, that journey together. And as they journey, their conversation is filled with the word of God's rescue, filled with the word of God's commands that lead them home, that keep them on track. That's us. God's goal is to lead us home so that we can live in his place under his rule. And for children, we're told here parents are key in that. Uh, I want to say my heart of hearts, and I'm sure this is true of uh, lots of parents watching. In my heart of hearts, this is what I want for my children. I want them to walk home. Uh, our job is to help them. Uh, theirs is to follow. But what, what does this obedience uh, of children to parents look like? Well, the word obey here is, is actually the compound of two words, listen and under. Uh, childhood obedience is a, about appointing yourself to listen under your parents' guidance. Childhood obedience is about conscious listening to parents. It, it's very simple. If you don't listen, you can't obey. And I'm sure that's a frustration that parents know well. To listen under is to listen with the intent of not just hearing, but doing. 
And the listening is specific. We're told here it's in the Lord. And that's important because what a child is aiming to hear and then obey from their parents is how they might obey God, how they might honour God, how they might walk home to God. And so there, there is, isn't there, within this, a limit on the obedience required of children. It is to obey that which is consistent with the Lord and his word to us. I want to say the way a child expresses their love to their parent, as far as God is concerned, is primarily through hearing and heeding the word of their parents. It's how a child honours their parents as they are commanded to by the Lord. Now let's turn to verse four. And we have here a word to, well, parents, but fathers from God the Father. And while the instruction, if you look there in verse four, is given to fathers, uh, that I think is a reflection of the fact that God expects fathers to lead this process. As we saw last week with marriage, uh, that the, the husband is to be the head of the household. He's meant to lead this. So he's talking to fathers. And it is a reflection, I suspect, in my own experience and by my own admission that fathers often need prompting to lead in this. But I do want to say, as we look at verse four together, whatever your family situation, this is a word to all parents who long to lead their children home. So if that's you, if that's your longing for your children, we should listen. We should listen with the aim of honoring our heavenly father as he speaks here. His word to us, verse four, fathers or parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The instruction here to, to parents is twofold. You see, there's a don't and there's a do. Uh, firstly, don't exasperate your children, uh, or more literally, don't cause them to seethe with frustration. And I'm sure you've experienced that from your children, seeing that in them. Uh, that sort of exasperation, that sort of frustration can come from all sorts of behaviours uh, from us as parents. It can come from our criticism of our children. And we need to ask, are we parents who are always fault finding? Uh, are we asking of our children a higher standard than we, well, we ask of ourselves? Uh, it's a frustration that can come from parents who are overly strict. And we need to ask ourselves, am I seeking to guide my children on that walk home or am I trying to control them? It's a frustration that can come from our own irritability. And I wonder if you felt that as if you're a parent, you felt that recently, uh, how easily our children can bear the brunt of our stress and our tiredness. Uh, that can cause them to seethe with frustration. It can come from us being inconsistent. And we need to ask, are we the same person to our children behind closed doors as they see us in public? Are we consistent when it comes to the rules of our house and the instructions and the promises? Uh, do they see consistent faithfulness in that? The command here to parents is don't exasperate your children on that walk home. And it's worth asking them, and here's a, here's a risky question for parents, it's worth asking our children, how might I have done that? Have I frustrated you? And it's worth pausing before we rush to our defence as to why we've done that, to hear them. Our job as parents is to live in a way that shows our children what God is like. And he is not a frustrating father. He is faithful. He's consistent. He's not easily angered. He is merciful with his children. He's compassionate. He's clear. He is just. We had to learn from him. Now, there's the don't. Don't exasperate your children. Here's the do. Do bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. 
verse four has three elements here in the, the do uh, that form, I think, a really potent uh, parenting plan. <laughs> Firstly, parents are to be gentle with their children. That's what bring them up means. It's, it's a word that literally means nourish, care, feed. Bringing children up is, is to be a tender process. And it's fascinating, isn't it, that the scriptures direct this command to, to fathers. And what we have here is the fact that biblical fathers are no more manly than when they're being tender and gentle and nourishing their children. Here's the second thing it will involve. It will involve training our children, or more literally, the word is disciplining our children. Scripture says that discipline produces righteous living and peace. That's why God calls us to do it. And there'll be all sorts of different ideas of what discipline looks like. And I don't intend to, to list now a, a how-to guide, but the, the command is here to discipline them with a view to leading them home. And let me suggest a few things under this uh, instruction. Uh, the first, let me say this to parents, pick your battles when it comes to discipline. Because once you take your stand on something, you, you, you can't really back down. Work out what you're really wanting them to obey you on and what you're willing to leave to their decision and discretion. Uh, here's another one. Uh, be united as parents. Don't have uh, an inconsistent approach on different things. Uh, let your children know what you both think on this and agree on that. Here's another one. When you're disciplining your children, do it privately. Discipline is, is not meant to be for them a public humiliation and for you a public vindication. You're meant to be disciplining them with a view to their not being frustrated, but walking home. And I guess related to that, the conversations around the discipline of our children are crucial. They need to understand if they've done the wrong thing. They need to be able to say, I did the wrong thing, rather than just sorry and think that that squares it away. Now, at this point, if, if we are disciplining our children in that process, if they are at the point where they're able to say and know what they have done wrong, they're very vulnerable, aren't they? <laughs> Having acknowledged wrongdoing and repented of it, what if the parent doesn't forgive them? Or what if it takes quite some time for the parent to forgive them? Or what if the, they hold it against the child or they keep bringing it up again? Uh, I mean, that's the risk that a child takes if they repent. Well, again... This is where we as parents need to reflect God's character. When we come to God in repentance ourselves, when we say, I've done the wrong thing, as we do, as we pray prayers of confession, as we have today, he always forgives, always. And so you as a parent need to be able to respond with that, I forgive you. The issue is closed. It will not come up again. And here's the third thing, along with uh, gentleness, along with training, there is to be instruction. Literally, it means this, to place before their minds the word of God. To place before their minds the things of God. It's the picture we saw in Deuteronomy 6 uh, as the parents and children are walking along the way, having that word always before them. Talking about God things, as we heard from Caroline Freitag in the, the family spot last week, uh, telling your children what God has done for us. Now, let me say on this, uh, what, what about parents of older children as we look at this verse? Especially those who are uh, parents of older children who, who at this stage are rejecting the gospel, who are walking away from their heavenly father. And I want to say, if that's you, that, that's a heartbreaking place to be, isn't it? 
And if it is, I do want to say we want to support you and encourage you and pray for you as parents. And if you are carrying that burden at the moment, let me assure you that God carries it with you and our God plays the long game. Keep praying. Keep being patient. Uh, there's a brilliant little article uh, by a guy called Abraham Piper, who's actually the son of uh, well, quite a famous American pastor, John Piper. And Abraham Piper tells the story of uh, in his teenage years uh, into adulthood, uh, walking away from the Lord. And he tells the story of how his parents uh, continued to guide him even in that time. It's a wonderful article, wonderful encouragement, I think, for parents who are in that place. Uh, I've sent that to the small group leaders, so please do ask them for it or, or email live at St Andy's if you'd like a copy. So there it is. Ephesians 6, 4 paints, I think, an amazing portrait of parenting. Solid discipline, clear instruction, soaked in gentleness and all governed by this huge phrase of the Lord. That's our goal as parents to bring up children who know and love the Lord, who, who trust the Lord, who live for him and who serve others because of him. This passage is not going to help us raise children who are safe or smart or successful. It may do that, but that's not its purpose. Its purpose is to help us raise children who are saved, who come home. All the gentleness, all discipline, all instruction is meant to place before their minds the wonderful vision of who Jesus is and who their heavenly father is and affix their heart on walking home to him. The child feels safe. The child feels brave as he's carried in those arms up and over the waves, deep of water, calling him on home to his heavenly father. Let's pray together. Heavenly father, we thank you that we can call you that. We thank you that because of Jesus, there is a place for us. We pray, Father, that in our homes you would set that news before us, uh, that we would be those who walk home to you. Amen.